Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Okay, I'll reload it. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the contact section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want more shows every week, we have a member show on Thursdays, and you can access that by being a member on the website. So if you want extra shows every week and you want to hear all the previous member shows and all the future member shows, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button, and become a member today. And if you want to prepare for an emergency and you want some extra emergency preparedness food, we got a great deal for you. All you got to do is go to preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's preparewiththeconfessionals.com. And you can get some emergency preparedness food if that's your thing. And now I have to tell you guys, we are getting the show out a little later than usually. Usually I put the show out late Monday nights, my time, even though I say Tuesdays. But last night, work got me. They kept me out late. They really just, uh, it was work and it did stuff. And so I had to just go right to bed when I got home. I was exhausted, and I woke up early this morning and started working on the show more, and here we are recording, trying to wake my voice up. Hopefully, it's not too bad. We have Jeff coming on the show today, and Jeff has some good experiences to share. He grew up in a haunted house, and the house he grew up in was one of those houses in the neighborhood that was a little bigger than the other houses, and in the old days, like the 1800s, 
the neighborhood, the people in the town would use his house as the place where they held funerals and wakes. And so there was a lot of dead people in this house. And he even said that when he was going through photo albums, he just saw dead body after dead body after dead body. But he was haunted and tormented as a kid. And then when he moved back into the house as an adult with his own family by a black wax man like entity. That's the best he could describe it. He has great stories. So let's get to Jeff right now. All right. Today we got Jeff coming on the show. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm all right. How about yourself, Tony? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, uh, dude, you have a lot of different experiences that you've been through and you have quite the resume here. I mean, I'm looking at the email and stuff and anything, I think, did you go to school for theology? I did. Yeah. I, I was a, uh, a student at Tennessee Christian and, um, I have a degree in theology with an emphasis on pastoral care. Okay, cool. And uh, I see that you were in the military, the Marines, so thank you for your service. Uh, I got a lot of respect for our military. Uh, You know, we talk about some, you know, conspiratorial things on the show and things like that, and I've, you know, covered 9-11 stuff. But uh, throughout all the stuff that we talk about on the show, my respect for our troops always remains, because uh, whether I agree with the decisions that our government makes to send our troops into places or what our government does... Uh, our soldiers always hold the most respect for me because you guys are just following your orders and doing what uh, is, you know, needed by the government. So uh, thank you for your service, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it was the best four years of my life, I'd have to say so. Yeah, it's four years I missed out on, man. I I almost signed up. I was gonna. I, my goal right out of high school was to join the Navy. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Uh, I graduated mm-hmm. high school in two thousand and three, uh, and that was the height of the you know the conflict. Yep. This was just starting, and um, I chickened out. You know, you're seventeen years old, and you, I got scared, and I didn't go. And I had several friends that did go. I had one friend that actually became a. Um, a Navy SEAL. Uh, I had a couple of friends that became Marines. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, as I was getting older and stuff, I started regretting more and more. Uh, but well, I've got two adult sons that, uh, that have not served. And I mean, one of them is a, is a law enforcement officer here in Indiana. And another one is a, uh, I, he went to, to college and, and, uh, got a degree in, in therapy. So he's, uh, he's a, um, an occupational therapist. So, I mean, it's, it, you, it's really one of those things that's if if it's for you, it's it, you'll know it. If it's not, then you'll question it. So yeah, well, my wife always says that it's probably best that I didn't go into the military because she says that um, not so much anymore, but especially throughout my twenties, she's like, if you were actually trained to kill people, I fear that you actually would have. <laughs> like she's yeah. like, sometimes you know the military isn't best for some people, and she's like, you're pretty nuts in your <laughs> in your twenties. So uh, right, yeah. So, so you know, I. I I understand that. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But anyways, um, I say all that to just kind of build up a foundation for as to who you are as a person uh, going into this stuff, because you spent most of your life keeping these experiences to yourself, because it was one of those things where probably you you didn't want to be made fun of, but also you probably weren't sure as you got older, whether you actually experienced what you thought. And it wasn't until you started listening to my show that you started connecting with old people that you went through these things with, and they confirmed with you, right? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I, I really was embarrassed. I was. I, it's one of those things where you think, "Nah, that's that that can't happen to me. That's not something that uh, that's real." And yeah, I was an only child. I mean, I'm an only child. So, um, as an only child, you learn to use your imagination really well, and you, it's hard sometimes to to look back and think as a four or five year old what was real and what was was just you filling that silence. Yeah, I can understand that. So, uh, why don't you just start walking us into these experiences you had and stuff? Let's just start with the you know, in the beginning of the timeline, chronological order. Uh, what are some things that happened to you? Well, I grew up in a in a house that was um, it was it was an older home uh, built in the late eighteen hundreds, um, and it was the nicest house in the area for a long time. Um, an old Polish neighborhood on the on the west side of South Bend, Indiana. Um, and it was, you know, built by, by my family. Um, and it was, it was an oddly shaped building. It, it was, it had three front doors. It had sort of a, a weird front porch that was very long. And then it kind of opened up into a square. And there were, it, the way it was explained to me was that, um, doors were cheaper than windows at that time. So they put in three doors and it created a, an airflow so the house could have some, some ventilation. So, um, that's just kind of the way it was 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 built. Um, so there was a, a door that led into the dining room, a door that led into the uh, living room, and a door that led into what I would refer to as the front room. That's where we used our, as our sitting room, TV, and all that. Um, but when I was younger, um, I can remember <laughs> distinctly remember relatives um, that were. I, I was told that they were relatives later on because I would describe them to my mom and my, my aunt Barb. Um, it, my mom and my aunt and my great uncle are who raised me. So, you know, dad wasn't around, but my great uncle was there and he was a good, strong male role model. Um, but I, <laughs> I would describe these people that I would see in the house. And I mean, they wouldn't talk directly to me. They would always be talking about us and about things that were going on in the house. And it was just, it, it seemed really odd to me. So I, I would mention it to my mom or mention it to my aunt and, uh, and they would, they asked me to describe them. I'd describe them and, you know, they'd show me old pictures and, and I'd pick them out of lineup. You know, I'm four and five years old and I'm picking these, these, these people that I'm seeing in the house and I'm seeing them as clear as, as I'm seeing any other human being. It's not like there's any type of, uh, you know, there, there, it didn't look or appear like what you would think a ghost would look like. It was just, they were people and they were, they were not supposed to be there. <laughs> so I noticed it, but, um, you know, I always told, I was told that one was a great aunt of mine and one was a great uncle of mine that had passed away in the sixties at young ages. And they did look young. They looked like they were in their thirties to me about, you know, twenties or thirties. And, um, you know, it was just, it, it seemed very commonplace. And at the same time, it was the weirdest thing in the world because nobody else was saying anything about them. Um, it, I, I remember distinctly, I, it was my fifth birthday. I, I got a puppy for my fifth birthday. That's how I remember the, the day so well. But um, that night, it was when things kind of kind of get dark for me. And it, it's, it's really, 
it it really took years for me to kind of come to grips with the fact that this wasn't just a nightmare event because it kept happening over and over and over again. And it was a span of decades. It wasn't just, you know, when I was five and six, this, this happened to me until I moved out of the house at 18. And then it happened to me again when I moved back into the house in my twenties after I got out of the Marine Corps. Um, but there was a, uh, there was a, the best I can describe it is, is if you take like a, there, there was a, I remember a wax figurine when I was younger that I'd gotten from somewhere. I don't know where I picked it up. I think it was Museum of Science and Industry or something in Chicago, but it was a wax figurine and I had just, you know, doing what kids do. I had scraped the, the features all off of it and it looked just like this black mass. It was, I think it originally started out as an ape or something or maybe a, or, you know, early human or what they would call an early human. But, um, it just was this kind of form and that's what I saw. I had heard something in the hallway. It was bedtime. Lights were out. I was never a kid that, that wanted a, a nightlight on. So, so things were, were dark. Um, and I can remember that there was, there was some weight. There was, it, it sounded like somebody walking up and down the hall and, I was in my bedroom. My, my bed was out in kind of the middle of the room a little bit, you know, with the headboard against the wall and I'm facing the, the door. I got the covers pulled up and I'm just kind of, you know, wondering what this was. And I see this, this mass that was darker than anything around it. Um, the moonlight shining through the window, just, it seemed to almost absorb any light source that was around it. You know, they, you know, there was a light downstairs in the kitchen, my bedroom was upstairs. So there was light downstairs in the kitchen that gave a little bit of illumination to the hallway. And this thing was black. It was, it was so black and it freaked me out. So, I mean, I pulled my covers up over my head and, and, you know, just pretended like I didn't see it and went to sleep. Um, and that was the first time I can remember seeing this. But I would see this thing about once a week and it would be the same kind of situation. I'd be, you know, getting ready for bed, be laying in bed, trying to fall asleep. And I'd hear this thing in the hallway and it would, it, it would be, there would be weight to the steps. And there were a couple of times where my mom even yelled upstairs, you know, get back to bed. What are you doing up? You know, like, like they heard it downstairs moving above their heads. So it really, I mean, it was, it was something that really bothered me. It really freaked me out. I was terrified of it. Um, and I can distinctly remember this, this, it was one time, it was probably the, I don't know, maybe a couple of months after the first time I saw it, you know, school had just started and I was in bed earlier than I normally would be. And it's still that August, you know, early September, it's still light outside a little bit. And Man, I, it it was coming down the hallway like I was used to it coming down the hallway, and and I would just I, mean, I would feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and I would feel just this dread and terror come over me, and I just I wasn't gonna hide my head this time. For some reason, I had just determined in my in my mind I was just gonna I was gonna watch this thing pass and see where it went. So. I kind of huddled the covers up around my neck and, and, you know, gave myself a big hug and, and this thing passed. And I, I think that that was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. It, it noticed that I saw it. 
and it turned and it just rushed into the room in this foul odor and terror. I mean, it was just like this cold and you could just feel, it was like, you know, how you really feel somebody's angry at you sometimes. I mean, you can just kind of feel yeah. that palpable. It's almost, it's almost like you can, you can feel that anger. And I mean, it just anger, dread, whole nine yards, just, just right at me. And, you know, I'm, and I'm, a, you know, like I said, I'm a little boy and, and I, shot those cars up over my head and I just started to pray and, and man, it was, it, it never, in all the years, it never touched me. I never felt a physical touch, but I did feel like physical weight on the bed. And I can remember feeling like two fists coming down on both sides of me and just hitting into the mattress and, and just staying there for a good 10, 15 seconds and then all of a sudden it was just, it was just gone. It was, you know, the, the room kind of went back to normal. The, the smell went away and it was a, it, it was like it, you know, nothing ever happened. Um, and I did, I, I went down, man, I ran downstairs and I, I told my mom what was going on and she looked at me and, and I, I'll never forget. And it was at that point where I really realized that, that, you know, she didn't believe me that there was, you know, she might've believed the other stuff. She might've, you know, kind of thought it was cute that I was, you know, able to pick out a relative out of a, you know, photo album or whatever. But, um, any, as far as anything negative was concerned, she had no belief whatsoever that there was anything negative in that house. Um, she looked at me and said, Jeff, it's, it's not the dead ones that can hurt you. It's the live ones that can. And I'll never forget that phrase. I, I probably told my kids that, you know, when they were little, so, um, so I just, you know, I started to deal with this on my own. Um, I, you know, I, I, if I had been born in a different, in a different era, I probably would have been diagnosed with, with ADHD or, or whatever, you know, it, back then it was just, you know, in the seventies and eighties, you were just a hyperactive kid. So I was a hyperactive kid and my mom, you know, put me into, um, Taekwondo lessons at age eight. Um, so, I mean, I, I learned to defend myself rather young and I, I, I got into wrestling really big, um, um, football, uh, actually played a year of college football. So, I mean, it was, it was a huge part of my life. Athletics were a huge part of my life. Working out was a huge part of my life. Um, you know, uh, jujitsu after, after Taekwondo became kind of, um, I, I was, you know, got my black belt in Taekwondo and, um, became a pretty good wrestler and, and I, it was just sort of the natural progression. I mean, I, I started studying other, other martial arts. Um, and man, it was probably, I was probably maybe 12 years old, I'd say, and this had been going on for forever. Um, you know, these, these, these probably once a week, maybe once every other week sort of episodes. And, I mean, it got to a point where I, I just started to get so angry about it that I started to become defiant in a way that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't back down. I mean, and that seemed to egg this thing on. It seemed to like, like make it worse. The smell would get more rancid and the, the cold would get more bone chilling and the, just, it would stay in the room longer, just like almost like storming around the room. And 
it was at that point where where I started noticing that it would be able to have impact on objects in my room. Posters would flutter off the wall a little bit, and papers would would fly off my desk, and pencils would would roll across the floor. It it could it could manipulate physical objects, and that scared that scared the crap out of me. I didn't. I mean, at that point, I I had never seen anything be able to to affect the physical world i guess it was just i mean it was it was there it was palpable i know that i could hear it i know that i could smell it and i know that i could feel that that energy off of it but i didn't think that it could actually impact things around me or me so it became a thing where i where it where i became aware that my this there might be some danger so I switched rooms, you know, <laughs> I was, I was a, you know, young, younger kid, but I still had a little bit of, you know, my mom would, would listen to me a little bit. I'm like, Hey, I'd, I'd like to like to switch bedrooms. So I switched bedrooms and that didn't help it. Um, I think that, um, I, it always, I, 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 there were a couple of times where I, I got out of bed to follow to see where it went. And, uh, our attic was in a very odd place. It was like you came up to the top of the stairs and immediately to your right, there was a doorway that headed back the opposite direction. And that was the attic. It was sort of a, a horseshoe shaped attic. And it, it went into the attic every time. It didn't go downstairs. It went right into that, that door. And, um, you know, if it was open, I would slam it and lock it. And, um, you know, just, it, it, I don't know. It just seemed like if it was physical, then I could keep it in there for some reason. That was just my rational, you know, my, my, the way I rationalized it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean that, that kept up and also kept up seeing, um, you know, kept up seeing the, uh, the other relatives and, and there were knocks and things like that. Um, <laughs> I can remember sitting, watching TV and, you know, watching somebody walk, up onto our porch and walk all the way down to the, uh, to the door that we used as our front door, which was the furthest one away from the, the steps. So that you would walk all the way along the side of the house. And, you know, sure enough, there's this, there's, you know, knock on the door. I go to open it and there's nobody there. Um, I, when I was 14, I remember finding this book upstairs in, in the attic that kind of gave me a little bit better history of the house. Um, Apparently, the house in the uh, 20s and 30s was used to show bodies, like for wakes and, and funerals. Um, there were probably, I don't know, maybe 50, 55, 60 pictures. Um, they were all black and whites. They were all very old photographs of different people. And most of them were not relatives. I think I only... Um, I was able to identify later on in life. I, I grabbed that book and, and, you know, kind of did some, some research on it. And, um, there was only three relatives that were in the book. The rest were just people from the area who had, you know, people pass away and their house maybe wasn't as nice or didn't have the room that we had to show or that that house had to show their relative. Um, but there were, there were some weird pictures like, uh, there were a few that were sitting up in, in chairs, um, sitting on a couch with all their relatives, kind of taking a picture with them all around them. Um, That's there were weird. babies. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It was very weird. It was. It was just. It was really strange. That's what they did back in those days, though, right? It wasn't it like when you had somebody that died in your family, you would take pictures with them, almost like your last family picture or something like that. I feel like I heard that before. Yeah, and I and, and the more research I did on that, the more I found that it was very common. But it's still it's still not any less creepy. <laughs> I oh, don't for know, sure. Just it, that yeah, that doesn't seem like something that I would want to do with. Uh, uh, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, there were there were some that were there were coffins that were leaned up against uh, one of the corners of the uh, of the house, and um, yeah, that it just it I don't know it just it seemed really odd, but at the same time it kind of um, it, it kind of all built up. Now, one thing that I did notice in a lot of these pictures, and I don't know if it has any correlation to that to that thing that I always saw upstairs and that I encountered, um, but there as you got to be as the the photographs became more recent like in in more recent history there were photographic anomalies in a lot of them that were this black spot that just and it wouldn't it would be in roughly the same place in the room regardless of where the picture was and i don't know if it had anything to do with maybe light coming in through one of the windows um and, or anything like that i mean i i i'm not a photographer i don't know how to explain anything like that but it was there in probably the last 20, 15 to 20 uh, pictures in that book. So, you know, I had that and, and, you know, I, I just attributed, you know, cause you know, my mind as a young kid, I'm thinking, okay, people, dead people were here. So that thing upstairs has got to be maybe, maybe a dead person that attached itself to the house and doesn't know how to get out or, or doesn't, it can't get out, you know? Can't can't move on, I guess you'd say. But um, I don't know. It, it's it, you know, to be really honest with you, it it uh, that thing probably had a bigger impact on my attitude as a kid than any other outside influence outside of like parents, school, things like that. But. I mean, there wasn't any bully that could have that could have done anything to, that would have scared me any worse than that thing did every every week, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was it was one of those things where I, I always thought, well, if I get strong enough, you know, if I'm if I'm able to defend myself well enough, then I'll be able to fend off whatever this thing is. So I, I kind of, I mean, it, it as crazy as that sounds, as a, as a kid's logic, I think that you know that was where my head was, you know? So, um, in my teenage years, I, I had some, uh, some other experiences that were just kind of really weird that were outside of the house. And I had never had any kind of experience outside the house. You know, I mean, I would spend the night over at friends places. It wasn't like, you know, uh, this was something that followed me around. It wasn't something that attached to me. I don't think I have any sort of ability to, to, um, to see, spirits or to, to communicate with spirits. I don't find that that's the case, but I went on a couple of, uh, I just, you know, with buddies from, from school, you know, that was probably 16 years old. Um, you know, went with friends from school, 16, 17 years old, we're all just kind of hanging out and, and we want to go explore a couple of these old buildings that are in the area. And, there were some really neat ones. I mean, you got to remember South Bend was, um, the home of Studebaker 
Um, so the Studebaker Automobiles and the Singer Sewing Machine Factory, all those places were still standing at that time, but they were abandoned. And um, they were still relatively safe to go into. I mean, I think a few of them were used for uh, warehouse space up and until the late 90s, early 2000s. So they were serviceable buildings. It's just that they were, you know, they were really really creepy. You know, we went in just for, I think, kind of the scare factor. But um, there were probably seven of us that that didn't take it that way. We were just sort of, we were more curious about the, you know, what was left in them. You know, what what state were they in? Like, uh, Studebaker closed pretty abruptly, so were there cars that were still on the line that were that were not assembled? You know, we, we just kind of wanted to see those things. So, we went in, and of course, they're all cleaned out for the exception of, of a few things where that were left. Um, but you know, we're just walking around and, and looking at these things. We, we ended up going up to, uh, to a school that had been closed down for a while. I think it was, was closed probably 20 years by the time we had went into it and the building isn't even there anymore. They destroyed it. But, um, we went in and, and some really weird things happened in this place. Um, and all seven of us, I mean, I'm talking, there's, we've talked about this to this day. Uh, there's a, you know, a good friend of mine, that's a state trooper. Um, another good friend of mine, that's a, a 26 year, uh, air force vet and he's in law enforcement as well. These are, these are level headed people that don't just, you know, <laughs> they don't just, uh, let their imaginations get the best of them. Um, you know, and all of us recount the exact same things and we were just you know, we were kind of floored we we're like yeah i thought that was just me i thought that i just heard that but uh in the school we heard a lot of things uh kids laughter um we heard singing and the song was god bless america and all of us kind of almost said it at the same time we were all sitting around after i had you know I, after i decided that i wanted to kind of you know uh, share this um we got together with those guys and we we all agreed that that was the song it was god bless america and we heard it like there was a class that was singing it upstairs so we all kind of you know stopped and listened really hard and then we all looked at each other and we all started walking toward where we were hearing this and it was on the second floor so we went upstairs and Man, it, it was just, it was the most eerie thing. There were still desks. There was still writing on the, on the chalkboards. There was, um, there was very little that had been disturbed in an irreverent way. So, you know, it was, it was just, I don't know. There were, there were still books inside some of the desks. And um, we we all kind of you know collected ourselves and we were getting ready to go we were walking out of the building and a water fountain you know they they kick on to to cool the water this water fountain kicks on and there's no electricity in this building man there's there's nothing that would have that would have let this thing uh you know do anything mechanical so all of us at that point in time stopped and we just, we turned around we're looking at this thing and one of my buddies just, he, he walks up to it and he depresses the, the button 
and water comes out. Yeah, there's no pump. If there's no electricity, the pump isn't going to work. So water comes out for about five seconds, and then it just stopped. And you know there were there was no more noise from it. No water came out of it. Um, we couldn't. There was no way to recreate it. We you know that was it was wired into the wall. It wasn't something that you know there was a plug underneath it, so we couldn't check that out. But it just it was very very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically at that point just kind of wrapped things up, went ahead and grabbed our things and our flashlights and we, you know, we left the building, but um, it, it's something that all of us remember very distinctly to this day. And, and everything is, is <laughs> everything sort of lines up with all of our, uh, with all of our memories of it. So, Oh, and uh, the two of those guys that, that were there with me, used to come and uh, house sit for my mom and my aunt when they would come and visit me. Like if I was in California, you know, with the Marine Corps and, um, or, you know, wherever I was, they would come and house sit for me and they hated it. They absolutely hated it. They, they said that they would hear knocking, the TV would turn off on its own. They would, they, they had all, they would have fits. They just didn't, they didn't quite know, you know, what was going on, but, uh, they did not feel comfortable in that house. I'll tell you that much. Um, but, um, you know, that was, that was sort of how things went, you know, through like my teens. But, um, man, when I, when I went into the Marine Corps, um, I, I moved out of that house. I played a year of college football. Things did not work out well. Um, I was, I was pretty angry about all that. So, um, you know, the, the school actually just, they pulled the plug on their football program is what ended up happening. And, um, I, I, you know, got upset about it. Um, I on a snap decision decided I was going to join the Marine Corps and, um, it was the best decision I think I ever made in my life. I, I, I loved, I loved serving. Um, I know that they're like, you know, we had, we had talked about, I, I do understand that, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, that, I don't think I would agree with, you know, in a, in a a philosophical manner or even a political manner. But I mean, I I served under, under a Republican president and a Democratic president. So, uh, you know, you couldn't have had two different ends of the spectrum, but, you know, all in all, um, I feel that, uh, I feel that, you know, we were looking out for the best interest of the, of the country and, and that we were doing the, the job that we were, that we were told to do. And, and I think we did it with honor and, um, you know, I, I got to see the world. I, you know, I got to see 22 different countries in four years. And I don't think I ever would have been able wow. to do that had I not. Yeah. Had I not joined the Marine Corps, I don't think I, ne- I, I ever would have been able to travel that much. So, um, Japan was, was, was really awesome. That was actually my favorite deployment. Uh, we deployed to Okinawa, Japan. Um, Okinawa is a tropical island, so it's absolutely beautiful there. Uh, a lot of history, and I, I love history. I, I, I like, I, I just kind of like the whole, um, you know, it kind of seeing, seeing, you know, where this world has been, and you know, it kind of, I think it gives you a little bit more perspective on things that are going on right now, and it gives you a little more more perspective and hope for the future. So, um, <clears throat> Japan was was probably one of those those places that I, I enjoyed most. 
um, the temples. Uh, I, I did end up, you know, going to Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, and seeing, um, seeing Ground Zero and seeing the, the memorials that they have set up there. Um, and it's, it's humbling. It's, it's very humbling. Um, but um, I, I inadvertently did some things that I don't think I should have done. Um, and there are temples there in Japan that you shouldn't take any kind of photography and you shouldn't take any pictures of. Um, and you know, I, you don't, you don't get a great overview of the Japanese language when, when you're given your, your Liberty briefing, um, they tell you, you know, Hey, if there's a sign that says no Americans allowed, follow the sign. It's because they don't speak any English. It's not because they want to disrespect you. It's just that they literally do not speak any English and they will not understand what you want. So, you know, respect their wishes and you just don't go in. But as far as temples are concerned, there's all kinds of signs and they're all in Japanese. And, um, you know, when you, when you walk into a temple and you see a mat by the, by the door there, you know that you should take your shoes off. So, you know, that's what I did. Um, but I think taking some pictures in places that I shouldn't have, I think I, I, I just invited some very negative things. I, uh, man, I, <laughs> I had nightmares. I can remember there was a, there's, I don't remember what it's called, but there is a, there's a forest in Japan that is sort of, um, a magnet for suicides. Um, and there's also a shrine that's pretty near there. And, um, we were a, a couple of buddies and I were on Liberty and we were going to go in on a tour of this forest. And we just all had this really bad feeling about it and decided not to. So, we went to this temple instead it was a shrine temple, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and it was, it was just really beautiful. I mean, it really was beautiful. It's very simple. Uh, the artwork was, was really, really beautiful, but, um, it just didn't seem all that. It, it just had a very negative, very negative vibe to it. And, um, I had in all of us, had some really, really messed up dreams after this. I had this dream about this old woman and it was, she was just, she was, she was very angry and it seemed like she was trying to, to manipulate me into coming with her. And she kept telling me that she, she had my son. I, I, well, I've, I've got your boy. I've got your boy with me and you have to come with me. I've got, I've got your boy. And you know, I can, I can remember, um, you know, waking up and making a phone call in the middle of the night in Japan. I could, I made a phone call back here to the States to, to my, to my now ex, but to my wife back then I was like, Hey, is, is Gage all right? Is he, is he doing okay? And, and she's like, yeah, it's fine. It's the middle afternoon, you know, here. And, um, it's like, yeah, he's, he's perfectly fine. Everything is, everything's good. But, uh, it just had me terrified. And the next night, was more insistent the next night more insistent and finally i I ended up going to the chaplain about it i i I sat down i was like chap i said this is this is what's going on man and he's and he was a he was a great guy absolutely you know one of those one of those naval officers that i'll always remember but um you know uh chap tillman looked at me and he's like hey he's like this is what i want you to do i want you to just i want you to go back and and i really want you to just pray pray over your room pray over your bed pray over your pillow you know make physical contact with it and and just you know lay hands on it and pray and 
I grew up Catholic, so that was that was out of my comfort zone. That was very much out of my comfort zone. Um, but after that moment, and I actually, you know, trusted him, and, and I, I did the things they had said, and, and those dreams stopped. I think that was, you know, now that I look back on it, it was probably one of those moments where, where God was heavily involved in it and, and kind of used that to sort of, you know, draw me in a little closer to him. Um, because I, I started going to church pretty regularly after that, you know, whenever we weren't in the field, I, I would go to, I would go to services. Um, things ultimately broke down pretty hard with, with my wife, ended up in divorce. Um, but, you know, it, it seemed like through those times, that was when I, I started to kind of ground my faith. Um, I, I, it's kind of, you know, I mean, it, the whole divorce thing was, was horrible. Catholic church is just not the place to, to, uh, to think that you're going to get a, a, a warm reception after you, you know, divorce your wife. So, um, I, I just kind of got soured on that and, and decided that I was going to, uh, I, that God didn't belong in, that the Catholic church didn't have a, a corner on the market of, of, of salvation. So, um, I, I decided I was going to start going to church. Um, I went and talked to this, this guy. It was a, it was a, he was a Marine legend. His name is, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, James Coffey. Uh, the guy was, I don't know if you ever heard of The Walking Dead. Have you, have oh, you yeah. had any? Okay. Um, so 1st Battalion, 9th Marines. Um, I, they were sort of the, the loosely, what happened to that unit was sort of loosely what, what Apocalypse Now was, was made, you know, around. Um, but he went in with the battalion. He was a lieutenant at that time. He went in with the battalion of, of Marines. He was an, uh, a, a staunch atheist. He, this, this guy was a staunch atheist. But um, 1-9 got trapped behind enemy lines um, without resupply for, for quite a long time. No communication. Um, they, were, they were cut off. And um, he said that, you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Coffee just, you know, he, he put it this way. He said, you know, he says, I went in there with a firm grasp on the fact that, that God did not exist. He says, I walked out of that jungle knowing that Jesus Christ was real and knowing that, that uh, he had a plan for my life. So after sitting down and talking to this guy, you know, for, for a couple of hours, he just, he looked at me, he said, you know, he says, you probably, he says, I really think that you've had some, some really bad things go on in your life. He says, even from a, from a child, from, from childhood, you've had some really negative things surrounding you. He said, uh, yeah, things are going to go pretty rough for you until you realize that, that, God's got a plan for you and you better get in line with that plan or else things are going to keep going wrong. Cause you know, his hedge of protection isn't going to, isn't going to cover you if you're, if you're not in line with, with, you know, what he's, what he's got planned. So, um, it just, I don't know. It, it's one of those conversations that you always, that you'll remember. And, um, he was, that was the reason why I decided I was going to start taking those courses. It was, you know, back then we didn't really have a whole heck of a lot of education. Um, opportunities on base it was mo mostly the christian colleges had had satellite campuses because you know they wanted to uh it was kind of a dual ministry they they would 
have people there for services and to, to run services along with the military chaplains. And they would also be able to provide some, some educational opportunities for Marines and sailors that were stationed on those posts. So um, that was what I was able to do. I was, I, I was able to take classes and, um, you know, how I got my degree. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was just, it, it really was a, a huge blessing to me, actually. I was able to, to go ahead and do that. And, and it also, you know, it provided um, means for a career later on because I became a drug and alcohol counselor. And, and that, that education really helped me to, um, to not have to take some of those, those, those courses over again. So, um, but, you know, I mean, those, <laughs> Um, like the time after I, you know, pretty much shortly after that, I, I, I graduated, um, uh, I had probably seven or eight months left in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was divorced at that point. Um, I moved back home after I got out, I moved right back into that same house, that same house I'd had a lot of problems with. And, and, um, man, I'll tell you what, it, it, those problems just still still persisted that that thing upstairs was still there um and it was probably more frequent it was probably twice three times a week that i would see this thing as a grown man um it didn't i don't know it, it didn't frighten me as much simply because i i i think i kind of recognized it and i think by that time um i knew that that um i don't know i i just i kind of had this the 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 knowledge that you know it, it, that my faith was stronger than this than this thing if that makes any sense i don't it, it in my head it makes complete sense i mean my, sure. my faith was stronger than than this than this being wherever this was um so i move into this into the same house um I start coaching high school football and wrestling and I am finishing up classes so that I can, you know, have my, uh, my certification. Um, and I would have, it was, it was, a it was a small private school in, in Northern Indiana. I would, um, I would host the, the offense, you know, every, I don't know, I would say probably twice a month for, um, just a, a sleepover. I would, I would get pizzas. I would rent movies. Um, we would spend probably an hour or so. We would probably spend an hour or so going over the, uh, you know, the playbook, um, you know, talking about scouting reports, things like that for other, you know, teams that were coming up. And then we would just have fun. They, I would let the kids be kids, um, you know, goof off, play video games, uh, you know, watch movies, eat pizza and, and, you know, throw football around in the backyard. There was, you know, it was just, it was, you know, good fun. Um, and I would have kids every single week that would come up to me and tell me that the TV was turning off on its own. Um, I had one kid tell me that he wanted me to call his mom because he had, um, he had wandered off into to one of the side bedrooms and, uh, threw a sleeping bag on the floor, and he said that there were two people standing in the room talking about what was going on in the in the house, talking about the the all these all these kids that were in the house, and um, they didn't they didn't understand why they were there. But you know he's he's freaked out, so I mean I called his mom, and you know 
it's it's funny because I'll see these I'll see these guys you know every now and again and they're all adults and if anybody had a weird experience in the house they always mention it every time we run into each other and like they're like hey coach you know man do you remember that time when and and like yeah yeah I did I remember I called you had to call your mom <laughs> so it was uh you know it's just you know things like that that it it was it didn't seem to be overly negative but man you knew they were there you just you really knew it was there um i never let any of the kids stay upstairs i didn't i didn't want uh i i i even you know as as i was a parent raising my kids in that house i never put my kids bedrooms upstairs never once um i just didn't want them to have to deal with the same stuff that i went through um my bedroom of course was upstairs and um man i'll tell you it, it was the only uh, the only other person that had any experience with that thing was my ex-wife and um man she was she was terrified she she would not uh, she whew, man um i was i was out of town um and the it was my weekend to have the boys and um she just she stayed at the house with the boys until i got home at like three in the morning and um she was outside she was outside on the front porch waiting for me to get home she said she wasn't going back in there um apparently she had had some some kind of experience where she slammed the door on that thing she slammed my bedroom door on it and the door just she said in her words she thought it was going to come off the hinges it was just pounding so hard on that door repeatedly over and over and over again and then all of a sudden just stopped now she is not one i mean we really didn't have a great relationship post marriage our divorce was pretty rough um she had she would have no reason to to lie to me or she'd have no reason to to make something like that up so i, I take her at her word um i you know although i've never had that kind of experience uh, but i never tried to slam a door on it either so um you know the only thing i did was i would wait for it to go in the to the attic and and you know after it was in there for a little while and i i felt like the the uh, i guess the coast was clear so to speak you know no no smell no no cold i would go and i would i would close that door but um man it just it was it was one of those things where i i i can't you can't explain it there's there's no i, I don't know any rational explanation of it but uh yeah, that that was completely completely um uh, you know one of those those situations where somebody else confirms something that that you know has happened to you and it just sort of uh, makes it all the more real but um yeah it, so other people had, had had some experiences in that house as athletes and, and my ex and um you know come to find out as i was moving my mom out of that house you know i moved out of the house um you know, moved into an apartment um and you know my mom was moving out of that house it was just it was too much it was six bedrooms um you know my aunt had passed away um you know my uncle had passed away there was there was nobody there but her so it was just too much it was it was just too much house so we were moving her into an apartment and she told me that 
there was so much activity going on that she couldn't deny it anymore. So we sat down and had a, had a talk over a cup of coffee, and she told me that she was hearing things moving around. She would go upstairs and she would pack boxes, um, and you know she had a card table set up because she had you know she wasn't you know she's older, so um, she set up a card table upstairs for her, and and she would pack boxes on this card table while sitting in a chair. And then, you know, she would do a little bit at a time, you know, as you know, where she had energy. So um, <laughs> she said she would go back upstairs and she would find things that she absolutely positively knew that she had packed unwrapped and sitting on that table. And at, at that point, um, you know, she's, She's sitting there, she's, you know, in tears. She doesn't know what to do. And I, I start telling her all the things that happened to me up there. And she finally, she goes, you know, she says, I, I knew that there was something, but I didn't want to admit that it wasn't something that had, you know, that was one of our relatives. She goes, I didn't want to admit that, that there was something there that wasn't one of us that was looking out for us. You know, she wanted to believe that it was some, something that was that any activity in the house was something positive. Sure. And, you know, man, she found things that, that were of great sentimental value to her broken. And she knew that they were not, that, that they were in safe places, that they were packed away nicely. And, um, you know, she found quite a few things like that. You know, I'm, and when I say quite a few, I mean to her that would uh, five, five or six was a lot to her because she, there were things that she, you know, she, her parents died when she was very young. Um, her mom died when she was 12. Her dad died when she was like eight months old. So, I mean, I never knew my grandparents at all. And these were things that had belonged to them. So it was, it was very, it, it was unsettling to her. Um, so we ended up getting out of that house very quickly. I actually, I, I sold that house for, for way under what it was worth just to get out from under it. We, we wanted to get away from the house, get, get, and let somebody else, you know, deal with the issues. And just, you know, consequently, I, I will say this, um, about three weeks ago, I got a phone call and it was from the, the real estate agent that we had dealt with. It was, she actually became a, a you know, good friend of ours. Um, she told us, she goes, she goes, Hey, she says, I don't know, you know, if this means anything to you or not, she goes, but they can't get anybody to rent that house for longer than three or four months at a time. <laughs> so I, I, I was like, yeah, I said, you know, that doesn't surprise me a bit, not even a little bit, but they have had a problem for the last, you know, three years that where they can't, I mean, they've renovated the whole house. I mean, everything was, was all redone and, and, you know, basically modernized and man, I tell you, I, I don't think I would have wanted to be in that house during any kind of construction that would not, I don't think that have gone, would have gone well. So, I mean, they even, they removed walls. It was because there were, there were some bedrooms that were, that were pretty small, but um, man, I, I Tony, I tell you, I don't think I, you could have paid me enough money to stay in that house during a construction. So, yeah, I mean, that's what usually happens, right? I mean, when places are haunted and they have activity and people go in and they start renovating, uh, a lot of crap happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, like I said, couldn't pay me enough money, but, um, yeah, I was, I was living in an apartment, um, and I had finished up my certifications and everything. Um, and I was working in the addiction recovery business, um, which 
man, I, I really loved it. I, I, um, my, my kind of first, you know, glimpse into that was, was my ex. She, um, she had a drug problem that was a closet drug problem and I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I, I had no idea how to help her. I didn't know even what she was going through. So, um, you know, it, it really helped me to understand. Now, it didn't make anything better between us, but it, it did make things more easy for me to understand and to comprehend and to, to be have a little more grace for her, I think. Um, but um, I was working in a rehab center that um, <laughs> was right next door to a funeral home and crematorium. Um, it had train tracks running right behind it. I mean, immediately behind the property. Um, the building itself was built as a geriatric hospital and then it was used, um, <laughs> it was used as a sanatorium where, you know, during the tuberculosis outbreak, um, they had tuberculosis patients there. So, um, the property was, was pretty old. Um, and even though it was a, it was a good sized building, um, we had a men's dorm and we had a women's dorm and there were common areas, of course, that were in the, in between. And we had a, 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 like the whole basement, um, was a huge gym, um, weight room, gym, gym, you know, set up. Um, and of course there was the, the ramp that had to come down to the basement because of, you know, that was where they, they would take bodies out and, and that. So, um, they had these big doors and, and a, um, a ramp that, that was fenced off at the time, but you could see that the drive went to the road. So it went straight out to the road. Um, and I met somebody, I've met one of the most interesting people I think I've ever met while working there. She was, uh, she was my immediate boss and, um, man, she, she was an air force vet. She was an older lady and she was just as hard as nails. Um, absolutely as hard as nails. This, this woman just, she, she didn't take any, any guff off anybody. And she had one of the biggest hearts you'll ever see in a human being, but, uh, she didn't take any crap, man. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a, um, I don't know. There was a point in time where she, she just looked at me one night and she, she, you know, cause I was working overnights in the building and she, you know, she was there up until probably, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I, I would start at seven and she always stayed later, but, um, <laughs> she, she looked at me and she says, Jeff, she said, do you, I don't, this is going to sound like really off the wall, but do you believe in ghosts? And I, I just kind of looked at her and I said, well, I guess. Why do you, why do you ask? She says, well, I want you to look at this. And she pulls up some of our CCTV, um, feeds and some recorded, some, some of the recordings of, um, different camera angles that we have in the, uh, common area of the girl's dorm. And I'm not kidding you. There was a, there was a full body apparition that appeared in the middle of the room and moved towards one of the, one of the girls rooms stopped and then went back into the middle of the room and then just was gone. Um, she, she saw this and she's like, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. She, I have absolutely no idea what to make of this. 
So she starts doing a lot of research on it. And a couple months later, she is full blown, got herself a, a ghost hunting kit. And she's, she's sitting in, in, you know, some of the, the rooms down in the, the uh, lower uh, floors of the, uh, of the facility. And she's doing EVP sessions and getting EVPs. You know, she was, uh, she, she went and bought, um, she bought some high tech equipment. She, I, I, she purchased some, some really high end stuff because she was getting a lot of things that she couldn't explain on her cell phone or things that she had picked up from, from Walmart, you know, just digital recorders. So she, you know, invested in some really good stuff and, um, man, it, it was really interesting. You know, she, she saw these, you know, she had some of the stuff captured on, on video. She had some of the stuff captured in still photography. She had, uh, she had EVPs and the director, uh, I'll never forget. Director came in and, and told her that she had to destroy all of that because it violated somehow violated HIPAA, um, regulations and because she was taking pictures of inside of a facility that she could you know she possibly could have caught you know a you know i don't know an image of one of the residents that that were there because of you know i mean it's a it is a drug rehabilitation there we we did have a, we had a couple of very famous people come through um you know and and it's anonymity is, is huge. You know, they, most of the people there, I don't think we had, but maybe one or two um, people that went through the program that were from, you know, in the state, most were from the coast. They were either from the West coast or the East coast and they would come to the middle of the country and, you know, they do the rehab and, um, you know, move on with their life. But, um, you know, it just, it, it was really one of those things where, and I, I, personally experienced a lot of things in that in that building you know um hearing hearing voices um in the cafeteria you know i'd, I'd be walking through just kind of you know there's not much to do as a counselor at night so you know if somebody's up and and they're in the detox wards um you know we would i would go up and, and talk to them and and things like that and and the detox area was was really where a lot of the activity would happen. And I, you know, you can, there's a lot of theories behind that. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of fellow counselors would, would tell you that, you know, you know, there's a lot of negative energy there. There's a lot of, a lot of people who are, a lot of young people who are dealing with a lot of very painful things and their bodies are going through a lot of pain and, you know, that they can project a lot of, a lot of things, you know, almost a, I don't know, a poltergeist type activity. Um, you know, you have, you have 17, 18 people that are going through a, a withdrawal situation all at once and all in the same place. Weird things are, are going to happen. You know, that's, that's the overall consensus, but man, I, it, it doesn't make it any less strange and it doesn't make it any less, you know, frightening when, when you're walking down a hallway and you hear your name, you know, called from a room that's empty and you know, you, you stop and like I said, I, I can take care of myself. I'm not a, I'm not a small guy. And, and, you know, people have been known to get violent and, you know, in places like that. We, you know, there've been, I think that's, you know, some of the reasons why I was one of the um, people that were chosen to work overnights is because, you know, if there were any, any issues that, you know, there'd be somebody there that could at least handle themselves 
you know, and not harm the resident at the same time as not allowing the resident to harm anybody else. So, you know, that's been, <laughs> that those things are, you know, they're always going on. And I mean, I've got people that have friends that still work at that facility. I, I've left, I've actually, um, I'm in nursing school now and uh, I've worked at a couple of hospitals and, and um, assisted care facilities, uh, long-term care facilities. And those are really, it's, it's weird. Uh, you know, I mean, I, hospitals and, and care facilities, you would think, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of death that happens there, but man, there's, there's a heck of a lot of life that goes on there too. You know, um, hospitals, babies being born, things like that. I think that, um, man, I, I've probably seen probably, I don't know, five or six deaths that, that were, that were just horrible, um, you know, in the ER and, and things like that. And I don't think anything that happened in those situations is even remotely as, as frightening as, um, you know, hearing a, a, a disembodied voice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just, because, I mean, I don't know. The, my, my rationale is that, man, if I can see it and, and you're, yeah, it's right in front of me, I'm doing everything I can to, to help, you know, you know, keep this person alive. Uh, the nurses and the doctors are all working and, um, you know, there's, I don't think there's, there's very little time to think about, you know, anything else but your job. But when you're, you know, kind of walking down a hallway and, and there's nobody there and you hear clear as day, your name called or, or, you know, a full sentence spoken and there's, there's nobody in that room. It, it scares the crap out of you. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, if I had something saying my name, like imagine something like just saying your name in your ear, just like Tony, like that, (laughs) that would be terrifying. It, it, man, and and you know it, you're it, that ruins your whole night, man. That just wrecks your whole night because now you're you're thinking about that, and and you know you've got the rest of your shift to work, and and now you've got I don't know Casper that's following you around that wants to have a conversation with you. Yeah, but you don't but, know if it's um, Casper or not. You know, it may not <laughs> no, be so no. friendly. <laughs> yeah, it may not be. But I, you know, it's it's those those type of things. Um, God, uh, one one thing that happened pretty recently, man. I was I was at a hospital, um, and I was going in to to interview for a, uh, you know, for a. I've I've got to interview for clinicals a lot of times just to to kind of you know get my foot in the door. I mean, interview for positions to get my foot in the door so that I'll have clinical opportunities in the future and um, internship opportunities in the future. So um, I went in, and this is a really old hospital, and it's in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Um, and <laughs> um, they converted one of the parts of this hospital uh, into a. Um, it's it's now they use it for uh rehab for like for rehabilitation physical rehabilitation like um um hand, the one of them is a hand clinic and the other one is for um occupational therapists to come in and work with with patients so i was walking down there and it, it, there's this long carpeted ramp and it was just it was a really cool building um 
and looked like probably from the you know 30s or 40s and and the inside was very much modern but the outside was was not and they they had kept it very historical looking um but i'm walking down this this hallway and i turn onto this you know carpeted long carpeted ramp and i see this this woman that's walking in front of me and she's she's very attractive i noticed i noticed that you know she was an attractive woman and she was in a nurse's outfit that looked like it was from the 50s okay like with the hat on the little white you know cape jacket the skirt um and i i noticed and i even noticed what really made me me just what really caught my eye was the fact that her her black leather shoes were spit shined to perfection and if you're a marine and man you you notice that that's that's something that that took that took a lot of time and technique to learn how to spit shine a pair of leather shoes so i was going to comment i was gonna i was gonna comment on her compliment her so she goes into what looks like she turned this corner and the door to the to the clinic that i'm going into is closing i grab the door and i open it up and I walk in and there's the reception desk and there's nobody else there except for the receptionist and a couple of patients that are sitting on in, in these chairs. And I kind of looked around. I, I stepped back outside and I looked down the hallway and she's nowhere to be found. So I walked back in and I asked the, the nurse, I said, I said, Hey, where did that, where did the young lady go that, that was in the, uh, the nurse's costume, the, the old fashioned nurse's costume. And she just kind of gave me this blank stare. And, <laughs> I was like, you do know who I'm talking about, right? And she says, no, honey, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I said, well, the, she just walked into this office. She goes, the door swung open and then closed. And I thought, and then you walked in. She says, I thought maybe you had the wrong door. And I mean, my jaw just dropped. I, I, I couldn't, you know, it, it's one of those things where you just, you it is cold chill up your spine. And you just realize that you've seen something and you know, you've seen something that is not there. And man, it was just, it, it was one of those, God, you know, just tack that on to the, to the, yeah. you know, the weirdness, but, um, you know, and I know that, you know, nurses and, and, you know, aides like myself and, and, you know, students, we are typically on night shifts um because it's just better it's better for class schedules for you to be you know free and available during the days um so i'm in i'm in these places a lot at night and um i've seen um i've seen shadow men going into rooms and then you know within eight hours after that you know the person the patient dies um it's it's weird you know and in talking to talking to patients in their last stages, you know, when they're, when they're getting ready to, to pass. Um, I consider that to be one of the, one of the greatest honors that I have, you know, in the healthcare profession. I really do believe that that is a, that's an honor to me to be able to be with those people and to and kind of hold their hand through it and um, help them to understand that, that we're going to make them as comfortable as we possibly can. And um, that it's not something that they have to fear, but um, you know, there are times where, man, they are just, uh, they're, they're talking to people that are not there. Um, they're, they're telling, I, I've had, 
I've had one patient um, tell me <laughs> that my that my aunt wanted to tell me hello, and that that kind of hit me because and and I and I didn't think about it much, and then she started talking about Barbara. You know, about twenty five minutes later, she starts talking about Barbara. She says, "Barbara, I never knew you, but you seem like a very fun person." And she's she's going on and on and on and my aunt's name was Barbara and you know, it, 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 you, you can't keep thinking that these things are just coincidence. You know, it's, it, it, this woman, you know, she's telling, she's talking out loud to somebody that isn't there and she's using, you know, my aunt's name. And then she, you know, you know, had 20 minutes earlier tells me that my aunt wants to tell me hello. And, you know, here, here I'm in there, you know, kind of, basically just uh i don't know for lack of a better term just being her sitter at that point in time you know just making sure that she's she's not pulling out ivs and, and that you know that she's uh that she's comfortable and and you know in her last last hours you know sure but but man it's it's I, I think that there are there's some some cool aspects to to all this and and um i really like I said, I'd hidden all of this for a lot of years. I just kept it, I kept it to myself. I didn't quite know what to, to make of all of it. Um, and I think I got to the point where I was old enough where I didn't really care what people thought about me where their opinions weren't, weren't my, my primary concern. Um, and I started to look things up. I started to, to look up, well, you know, has anybody else had some of these experiences? Has anybody else seen this thing? What what could it possibly be? That 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 mass, that that black man, evil. Th- I, it's it's just you could just feel the anger and the hatred and, and that coming off of that thing that I that I've dealt with as a kid. And um, and I just I found that there are other people that that describe almost the same thing. And um, you know, it, it just it, it kind of was a little bit. I don't know. It gave me a little validation, made me think I wasn't crazy, and and that maybe uh, maybe me talking about it would give someone that same kind of validation that I got from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly why we do the show, right? I mean, to share people's stories. I mean, yeah, it's good for you to talk about it and get it off your chest, and it's good for people to listen to for even just entertainment value's sake. But uh, the idea of you sharing your story and giving somebody else either peace of mind or confidence to come forward and t- start talking about things that they thought they were going crazy about. I mean, that's a huge deal. Yeah, it really is, man. Um, yeah, I, I really, it, um, I don't know. It, I kind of gone through from, you know, from, you know, things that happened to me as a kid all the way through to an, as an adult. And now that I, I, I voice it. It just seems, man, it, it really, it does seem like there's just a lot of stuff, man. It just, uh, it, when I was, when I was getting things together and just sort of organizing my thoughts and, and putting things on paper, I, I kept second guessing myself. I'm like, do I, do I really want to, do I really want to say that? Do I really want to admit that that happened? Because man, it just makes you sound like a, like a lunatic sometimes. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I've got since since I have started looking into things, and I've reached out to to a couple of friends that, uh, um, 
you know, that experienced some of these things as well in that house. Um, I, I've talked to relatives and um, there, uh, I've got a, a, a cousin who is far older than I am, but um, used to stay at that, in that house a lot. He, he refused. Uh, once he hit like 12 years old, he refused to go there. He absolutely refused to. He said that he kept getting scratched is what he would always say. He would say that, uh, he goes, he, he told me, he said, man, he said, every time I slept in that bedroom and that was where I was, my bedroom. Um, he said, every time I slept in there, he goes, I would, I would have these huge scratch marks down the backs of my legs. He said, my mom would always yell at me because, you know, she would think that I was, you know, being reckless on my bike or something. She, he, he said that he just would always have some sort of physical mark every time he stayed over at that house. So, you know, there, there's a lot more, I think, that, that had been going on there than anybody was willing to talk about. And um, I, I can't help but think that there was some connection between all of those, all of those bodies there were so many of them, Tony. It was like, I'm telling you, there was 50, 55 or 60 pictures. And I'm sure that there were more that, that weren't in that book. And I, I mean, I, I, I hesitate to think that, you know, um, that those are, you know, the spirits of actual human beings that, that are trapped here because, you know, I, I don't know if that, I, I don't know. I, you know, we're, we're always taught, especially, you know, if you, if you are a, a, a Bible believing Christian, you believe very straightforward about heaven and hell. And I think that admitting that there are things that you can't explain truly, truly makes you question your belief system. And I mean, I, I understand it. I, there were a few papers that I wrote, you know, I, I understand that, um, you know, uh, ghosts are mentioned in the Bible. Spirits are mentioned in the Bible as well as, as witchcraft is mentioned in the Bible. There's, there's so many things. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the Israelites were told to stay away from, from certain nations because, you know, their, their ways were, were not of God. And I mean, I get that, but that doesn't mean that those things don't exist today and that those practices aren't, impacting the world around us today, you know? You know, it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, it doesn't mean it's not happening today. And the way I look at it is, you know, if it made its way into the Bible, it's probably because it's meant for, it's meant to be read by people, you know, 2000 years later. And uh, the reason why the Bible and God in the Bible demands that people don't do certain things. It's not because it's not possible. It's because it's very possible, but it's not good for us. And, uh, right. you know, I, I always use the reference of First uh, Samuel chapter 28, where yeah. Saul goes to the witch of Endor, and it, it when you read it, it says that the witch summoned its dead spirit, or the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel. It, right. it doesn't say that he talked to a demon or it was all made up he had a conversation with Samuel and that's yep. a prophet of God. So like clearly there are certain things that are possible. And like you said earlier, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not happening just because uh, it makes you feel uncomfortable 
to admit that something has happened in your life or is happening in your life because it doesn't truly line up to what you feel you believe theologically speaking doesn't mean it's not real. Sometimes it means that we just need to adjust our lenses and say, uh, it's happening. I don't understand how it's happening, but it is happening. And I may never get an answer to it as to why it's happening. But one thing's for sure, this is happening. You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, you know, <laughs> man, I, I can, you know, today I... I was talking to my, I've got a, I've got a little girl, a little daughter and she's, she's 10 and, and, um, you know, she is, she's at that point where she was really super curious about some things that, um, my mom had said in the past, you know, and, and, you know, she was around, she remembers, um, she remembers my mom being upset about, you know, things that were going on in the house when, when we were moving her out, you know, she, she remembers those things. So, you know, she asked me a question the other day. She's like, dad, she's, do you, do you think that if I have a guardian angel or if there are angels that are our guardians, just don't you think that God puts them there to guard us against specific things? She goes, like the fallen angels and the demons that, that the Bible talks about? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> that's a pretty intelligent question. I mean, uh, it, it just kind of, God doesn't do things for no good reason. And, you know, if we do have angels that guard us, and if we do have angels that are, I mean, I'm not saying that we each have an, an individual guardian angel. I, I don't quite think that that's how it works. But, I, I mean, it's, you know, set very, you know, it, there are, you know, scriptural references where, where angels, you know, come to the aid of, of humanity and man, I, you know, they're, they're guarding us against something that is, you know, out to destroy and out to, to, to shake our faith and to, you know, make us question. So, you know, it, I, it kind of, I don't know when you have your 10 year old that looks at you and, you know, and says something like that. And, and I'll tell you this though, if my little girl tells me that, you know, something is, is happening to her at, at night, I'm going to be more inclined to believe her, you know? Yeah. I, I may not, I may not admit, yeah, hey, you know, this, <laughs> that may, that's probably, uh, that's probably a monster underneath your bed, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think mean, there's better ways would, to communicate would, it. Right. Right. I wouldn't, I don't think I'm going to say something like that, but I mean, I'll definitely give it some credence and I, I will, you know, be, I think I'll be as supportive as I would want, I would have wanted at that age, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you could just hold her hand and walk through it with her, you know, be like, daddy believes you and uh, yeah. I'm going to do the best I can to help you and let's, you know, study this together and try to understand what's going on. And we may not understand at the end of the day, and that's going to be okay because I'm here with you, you know? Uh, right. Uh, you being a Bible guy and stuff, I mean, there's, if you just read the book itself, you know, the book that Christians, you know, quote unquote, say they believe in, right? Uh, there's right. a lot of things in there that are weird, and we don't, to this day, understand how it is possible it, or outside of God possible, uh, but it, it says it in there, and people say they believe that what the Bible says is true. And so you got things like talking donkeys where dudes are like a dude is arguing with his donkey 
like the donkey's yeah. arguing with the dude and nobody thinks this is weird. Yet right. when you come forward and you say, I've had paranormal experiences happen in my house, a, a, your average American Christian would be like, oh, come on. You know, it's, right. it's like, yep. do you really believe the Bible that you say you believe? Because when you read it, it's really weird. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. I mean, just reading I, and we're not even talking about, you know, revelation yet. It's, right. it's not even, we're not, we're not even, you know, talking about the symbol, you know, the symbolism in, in revelation or whether, you know, I mean, there are Christians that believe that that is, you know, word for word, what is going to happen in actuality. They don't believe the symbolism aspect of it. So, you know, if, if you take all that into consideration, we're talking about dragons and, you know, creatures that are just beyond horror. And I, I think that, uh, it, and you know, that, that goes back down to, um, you know, talk, I have mentioned, you know, this in passing to a couple of, of, people in my church. And I mean, I've worked in youth ministry for, for some years and uh, you kids come up with, with questions, especially around Halloween, especially around Halloween. They come up with questions that are so to the point, but at, they have huge answers. And I mean, man, I, you know, there's, there's, there are no simple answers to it. There's no simple way of putting it. And I think that the more that you, the more that you study and the more that you, you learn about, um, about scripture and, and the more that you learn about God's relationship to humanity and, um, you know, how God operates, the answers get even bigger. So trying to help a, a child understand you know, things. And then you have the, the parents, like you said, that would just completely dismiss any of it. I'm sorry, but you know, my parents didn't allow me to watch horror movies. You know, that wasn't something that, that they would have given me permission to at, at 10 and 11 years old. But I mean, if you don't think that your kids are are going over to their buddy's house and watching the exorcist or, you know, all these other movies, you, you know, I mean, the conjuring, whatever, um, then you're, you've got your head in the sand, you know, kids are, are curious and they're gonna, you know, and it's the thrill of being scared. I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of curiosity that comes out of life in your early ages as a kid. And as the parent, as an adult in the room, for me, it's personally, this is how I view it. It's to teach them. It's okay to be curious about the world you want to be curious about the world. You want to pursue life and try to understand the weird details of life. But in that process, you have to keep an open mind. And at the end of the day, be okay with being wrong because that's how you're going to learn. Right. Right. I absolutely think that is, that is correct, man. Um, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how much this, you know, how, how this feels to be able to kind of, you know, speak this out loud, you know, uh, this, this whole, this whole situation has, has been something that I've, I've like, I don't know. I've I just kept it hidden, man. It, it was, it was a matter of, of embarrassment, I think. So for so long that I got used to it being there, you know, I got used to tucking it away and um, you know, especially those things that happened as I got older, because, you know, 
as you get older, you're supposed to be more, more mature and you're supposed to be able to handle things a little bit easier. And, um, I'll tell you what, I did not handle those dreams very well when I was in Japan. And, and I think that they definitely had something to do with, with the site that I was at. I think that, uh, um, I think I, I just, you know, unwittingly did something that I, you know, that I wasn't supposed to do and, and came in contact with something that I wasn't supposed to be in contact with. So, yeah, well, I think that's, um, the course of life at times, you know, we go through life and we mess up, we do stupid things that, you know, we pay for later on, whether it's physically or spiritually or, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just literally the process of life. That's the way I look at it. I, I really keep a very laid back approach as to how life goes for me. I mean, it's life. I can't predict it. I do my best and we roll with the punches. And uh, for the next generation, we keep bringing it back to kids, but for the next generation of kids, uh, I think one of the most important lessons we can teach our children is to be flexible in life. And that's with everything, politically, uh, societally, where the world's going. And even, you know, with the paranormal things, if you can teach, successfully teach your children to just be a flexible person, know what you believe, and there's certain things you don't waver on, but in general, just be a flexible person willing to bend and maneuver through life and not be so stuck in your ways, that is going to be huge for the future generations because we've never experienced a world like we experience now. It's only going to get faster and it's only going to get harder to navigate through it. Information is so fast moving and so much more out there than it was when we were younger. Uh, our children are going to have a much, much harder time navigating through this world if they don't remain flexible, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. I mean, you know, the just the a mass amount of, of information that's available to us right now. And it's only getting, it's only getting more available. It's not like we're, we're pulling back on any of this, you know, I mean, you could go into the conversation of, of AI and everything else. And, and, um, you know, there's that integration I think is, is going to be very real for, for future generations. And I think that's going to create, um, it's going to create some opportunities, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's going to, um, man, you can't help but look at it and say that it, it almost removes the need for God, you know? And, and I, I, I hate even saying that, but I, you know, the technology, the more technology advances, the more human beings sort of, of see themselves in that God role. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's, that's a, a, a huge mistake. You can't, I don't think there's, there's a way that you can make a bigger mistake. Um, you know, I've, I've got a degree and, and, you know, I, people ask me, well, you know, what'd you learn? You know, what'd you learn through, you know, gaining that, that degree? And I said, well, I learned a couple of things. I, I learned that uh, there is definitely a God and I'm not him. And, you know, if, from there, you know, it just, you, you have to have, you know, your, your, your faith is, is a, a relationship between you and, and God. And, and that's, it's pretty much, you know, pretty much how you, you have to, to deal with life. You know, it's, it's all about the relationship. And I think that when we add that technology in that sort of, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, tries to take the place of that relationship is where, you know, it's, it's kind of where we go, where we kind of, you know, fall off the path. 
Well, I mean, it, if God is who he says he is, then people need to stop worrying so much about the AI factor and how it integrates into the future. Because if, if God is omnipotent and all-powerful and all-knowing, then things happen on his timeline, whether you like it or not. And so if you don't think that the integration of AI is a good thing for society and you think that God looks down on it, well, if it's happening, it's happening because God's allowing it. And that, that's where that's where people kind of get, you know, caught up with, you know, really walking out that faith they have in God. And, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, like I said before, I'm very laid back about my life and how things unfold. I'm very laid back about it. And it's just like, I, I don't really worry. I, I'm very interested about a lot of things. I do get worked up about some things. But at the end of the day, it's just like, whatever. Like it's out of my control, you know? And so it's like, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I'm just going to roll with the punches and see where this goes. And, you know, maybe who knows, maybe it's going to be fun in the process. I don't know, dude. I was, I was young when the Terminator came out, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was, you know, that was, that was something I saw in the theater. That was, that was real for me. So, (laughs) you know, all the, uh, Oh, you know, Skynet and everything else, man. It just—I don't know. You you get '80s kids, and, and I think that we have a different—we uh, have a different mindset. I mean, we—I we grew up thinking that by the time we were old, you know, there would be flying cars, and you know, we we grew up thinking that that technology was going to to advance far faster than it has, and now we're all kind of stressing out about how technology is advancing so i mean it's it's weird dude it, it's it's kind of one of those things where you sit back and you know you you gotta wonder um you know where our heads are collectively sometimes yeah i mean but we are really far advanced in technology now and uh we're we, it's only a matter of time and we have predictive programming now uh they're talking about implementing that into law enforcement there are some law enforcement uh agencies uh that I don't think in this country, but I'm pretty sure it's Canada that they actually use big data to predict crime. And, uh, and you know, even my full-time day job, I'm a, I'm a truck driver, you know, by day and my own company uses big data to predict who's going to have the, who's most likely to have another accident. And uh, just like a year ago, I I was, my son was, or no, it was maybe two years ago. I don't remember. I I remember my son was just a little baby. He was really not sleeping well. And uh, we we had a cat that was uh, really sick and it was a Friday. I remember I didn't sleep a whole lot. Uh, The son was, my son was really a handful. We were dealing with things there. And then that Friday, my wife had to take the one cat and put him down after we've had him for, you know, years. And, uh, it was a rainy day. I was in an area that I wasn't familiar with. They were, they took me out of my my territory that I normally run. I was in North Philly. I'm backing into this like junkyard looking thing with my tractor trailer. I can barely see in my mirrors. Rain pounding on my mirrors, and I catch a metal pipe that's um, sticking out of the back of a, a pickup truck. And I just caught it a little bit and scratched my trailer. Didn't even bend the pipe. Didn't damage anything. But I reported it. And my boss pulls me into the office the next week, and he said, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I." I was going to actually pull you into the office and let you just kind of talk with you and see how you're doing because your name came up as somebody who might be likely to have an accident soon. And I did. That's crazy. It is. So we're here. We're we're there. It's that technology is is advancing. Trust me. I I, I fell victim of it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I moved, I just recently um, moved my family. We are actually just, you know, you know, me and the kids went ahead and we moved out to uh, a small farm, man. And I'm really enjoying how life is slowing down. And I mean, I, <laughs> I've got, I've got, let's see, um, like eight acres of woods and another 10 acres of pasture. And then there's a couple acres in the side yard and then the, you know, acre in front of the house. And I mean, it's, it's a big property. It's not huge, but it's a big property. It's bigger than I had, you know, I mean, I'm talking, you know, an old Polish neighborhood, which if you think of like, think of like Chicago, that's sort of like the, the imprint of what that side of South Bend looks like, you know, the houses are all close together and everything. But, um, you know, I mean, I've got two horses, and I just adopted a blind cow and his seeing eye donkey last week. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a comedy. It does, man. It's like, but this is life, you know. This is this is where it's this is where it's at, man. I, I my kids love it out here. Um, you know, it, it's I love it. You know, I went out, you know, before you called, you know, before the interview, and you know, I. I you know, mess with the horses a little bit, making sure they were okay. Cause we had some storms passing through. So, um, you know, made sure the horses were good. And, and, you know, of course I got, <laughs> got the blind cow who I've got to kind of lead. So I just grabbed the donkey and, and, you know, he, you know, she follows the donkey wherever the donkey goes. So I'm leading the donkey up and it was like, you know, here I'm, I'm leading the donkey, the donkey's leading the cow. <laughs> And then there's, wow. there's chicken there's, and I've also got chickens and ducks. So there's chickens everywhere. And I just stopped and I was like, you know, this is actually pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> really cool, man. This being able to slow down life a little bit is always a good thing. Um, yeah. but I, Jeff, I'll tell you what, man, uh, I really do appreciate you coming on the show and just sharing your stories and chopping it up a little bit with me. Uh, it was a good time talking to you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Tony, man. I, I really enjoy the show and I enjoy the opportunity to be able to get this off my chest. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. That's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Just share, share, share the show because that gets it in front of other people who will fall in love with it just like you. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care. And remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Bye.